Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from him of whom you have just sung. And as that song talks about Zion, his church, being filled with peace, may that be so for you as you sit there and for me as I stand here. Peace that comes from him. One more time on the boats, not the boat that Pastor Shower uh, spoke about in the gospel. That was a boat right after the feeding of the 10,000. When they wanted to make him an earthly king. And Jesus feels Satan's presence. He tells his disciples, get out of here. Don't want you caught up in this. Get out of here. Get on the boat. Go across the lake. Then it says he dispersed the crowd immediately. Not talking about that boat and talking about the boat we've been on for the last three weeks. The boat that encountered a storm. The boat that put the disciples, as Luke said it in his eighth chapter, in great danger. They weren't saying the sky is falling. It literally was. These weren't five foot waves that they were thinking were 30 foot waves. They're 30 foot waves. And they looked at the size of waves and they looked at the water coming up to their ankles and now up to their knees. And they decide they better wake Jesus up, not asking him for help, but saying to him, we're going to drowns. Didn't want you to drown in your sleep. Wanted you to have some companions as we die together. They weren't asking him for help. They didn't think of asking him for help. The waves were too high. And Jesus said to them when he calmed the storm, Guys, these past weeks, I've healed thousands of people. That's why we got five or ten thousand people following us. How could you be with me these last 18 months? See all the miracles that I've done and figure out in your own mind that these waves are more powerful than the Son of God. Where is your faith, he said to them. Same chapter, a day later, village, marketplace, 85 pounds, I'm guessing. Twelve years sick. Gets her cane. Friends say to her, where in the world are you going? She's going to go out into the marketplace. They said there's 500 people in the marketplace. One and jostle and you're going to fall. No one's going to be helping you. They're going to be looking at Jesus. They'll trample you to death. She ignores them. Goes out on her cane. Does what Pastor Sauer read about in the gospel. She didn't ask permission. In the gospel, they asked permission to touch his robe. She didn't ask permission. She touches his robe from behind. And at the end of the dialogue, Jesus was amazed. At this woman he had never met. This woman never shaken her hand. This woman has such faith that she risked her life believing that he would heal her.
I want to talk for the last time about faith misplaced. I touched on last week that faith is misplaced when we put it in human appearances. There's not a single Christian on this earth, save Christ himself, Hebrews 5, 8, who has not had periods in their life when their faith was tested. Martin Luther himself, three years before he dies, I've said it many times to you, he wrote down that he prayed that his fear of death would not harm his faith. What is that? What is that? His eyes focused on death. And that particular day as he wrote, he said, I pray that my fear of death not harm my faith. How often we are influenced, how often we're swayed, how often we are lifted way up high or brought way down low by mere appearances. If the Israelites, when God said to them, go into the promised land, if the spies had come back and said, not too bad, man, five foot ten, just like we are, farmers and shepherds, just like we are, we can do it. But what they saw when they entered that land was seven foot, eight foot tall people, like Goliath. And they weren't farmers and shepherds and olive tree. They were warriors. And the Israelites looked at these seven, eight foot tall warriors. And they said, God doesn't stand a chance. We will not even ask him to help us. Because all we see is eight foot tall warriors. We won't even ask him to help us. If the weather is fair, if there's no clouds on the horizon, if everything goes along merrily, our hearts are hopeful and our faith is buoyant. But when everything is going well and there are no clouds, faith does not come into play. Don't tell me how strong your faith is when the clouds on the horizon are not minute. Don't tell me. How strong your faith is when it's peaceful every morning that you wake up and you've never had better night's sleep. Faith did not come into play then. Faith uh, needs an adversary. The adversary is Satan. Sin, death, power of the devil, fear, worry, shame, guilt, hatred, anger, vengeance. Faith needs an adversary. Faith is a weapon. Bible says, put on all the armor of God. Faith needs an adversary. And if the Bible itself describes faith as a weapon, you don't need weapons when everything's fair. You need weapons when the heavens are dark with clouds. You need weapons when someone lies ill for a prolonged period of time. You need weapons when all things are draped in black. When the bank account is abysmally low, when the olive crop has failed and the grapevines have withered, and there is no harvest coming in September, and there are no cattle in the stalls or sheep in the pens, then tell me about your faith. Because that's when faith comes forth. 
Habakkuk. For the last time, you need to put it in the, on the refrigerator. Habakkuk chapter 3. Remember? Unless you've missed the last couple of weeks, remember? Habakkuk looks at Jeremiah and says, all you do is whine and complain. Habakkuk must have looked at the other prophets writing and he said, all you guys do is whine and complain. Let me tell you this, Jeremiah and the other prophets, let me tell you this. If the olive crop fails, if the grapevines wither, if there is no grain for the harvest, if there are no sheep in the pens or cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in my God. I will sing his praises. And he didn't stop there. He said to Jeremiah and the rest of the prophets, He going to make my feet as fleet as a deer. And he's going to give me the strength to climb mountains. You guys look at mountains and you whine and complain and at the very end you come back to God. But I'm going to be with God from the very beginning. And maybe Jesus would have said to Habakkuk, Your faith has made you whole. And maybe he said, would have said to Jeremiah the weeping prophet, I'm amazed at your lack of faith. It is misplaced when we put it in human appearances. Apostle Paul, when he looks in the mirror, he sees stripes and scars all over his back. Apostle Paul looks at his arms and fingers, he broken bones all over the place. He sees lumps from the stonings that he went through, scars from the scourgings. Later on, he sees the irons around his hands and his feet. One prays, Lord, give me peace the last five or six years of my ministry, of five or six years of where I work. Just give me peace. And the Apostle Paul, last five or six years of his ministry, he's sitting there in a prison, watching the rats nibble at the food that is put at his feet, waiting to die. And the Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, I never... Put my eyes on the things which are seen. Because I look at the things that are seen, I see the scars and the bumps and the bruises and the cuts and the brokenness and the prison. I fix my eyes on the things not seen. I see no waves. I see no nine-foot-tall giants. All I see is God. All I see is God. Philippians 4, 11, 13. Learn to be content in every circumstance. Know what it is to be empty, know what it is to be full. Learn to be content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Secondly, our faith is misplaced when we limit God. In one of his psalms, David wrote, Israel of old has limited God, each of the twelve disciples. Periods in their three-year ministry with the Lord. They limited God. Regardless of how strong or weak your faith is, you will limit God. Not on a continual basis, but on an individual circumstance basis. 
The disciples could be very strong at one moment and they could be exceedingly weak at the next moment. So it is with you and me. Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. The good I want to do, the faith that I want to manifest, it's not always there. Doesn't seem possible that you or I could limit God. I mean, I mean, our days are numbered at 70 years, maybe 80. And he's infinite. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all things, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all those things you learned in confirmation, he's eternal. Seems impossible that man could limit God, but he does. God himself admits it. Hebrews eleven six he says, What one thing pleases God? And the author of Hebrews gave the answer. The one thing that pleases God, if we believe that he's real. And if that statement is made in the Bible, it must mean that it is possible for human beings to say, God is not real. He doesn't have the ability to help me. He doesn't have the desire to help me. It is possible for human beings to say that and to believe that. We have free will. Man can say no to God. He can rebel against God. He can argue and protest with God just like Job did. He can turn his back on God. He can miss the right way and come to defeat and failure. Man can limit God. Greatest verse in the Bible, I've told you before, in my estimation, it is John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to Martha, whose brother had died four days earlier, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, your brother just died, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He didn't stop there, he asked her a question. And the question he asked her had the possibility of Martha limiting God. He asked her, do you believe the words that just came out of my mouth? Do you believe the words that just came out of my mouth? Are the waves of grief so strong that you don't believe my words? Is your anger at me so strong that I didn't come and heal him? Is your anger so strong that faith has no chance with you now? And Martha said to him, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Two ways we limit God, then I'm through. We limit him in our prayers. Oft times I will pray to God, not my will, but yours be done. But what I'm really saying to God is, That's just lip service. I want my will done. I want my will done. You're the same. Don't be smiling at me. You're the same way. You're praying to God and you got it all figured out. You're saying to God to be righteous. uh, Not my will, but thine be done. But you're not really listening to yourself. Y'all, you got it all written down. Point one, two, three, four. God, here is why your will should go along with my will with regards to this relationship, this job, this school, my finances, anything else. God, here are the reasons why you need to agree with me. Not thy will, God. Mine be done. Mine be done. 
mind be done. We try to persuade God to come over to our way of thinking. We, we ask God to accept our view of things. No regard for his will or his wisdom. No regard for his will or his wisdom with regards to this circumstance. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me with your stuff. Come to me with the circumstance. Come to me with the problem. Come to me what's keeping you awake at night. Come to me. And then he says, leave it with me. Leave your suitcase with me. You go away, and I will give you peace. You leave your suitcase with me, and you go away, and I will give you peace. Do you understand it? The reason he gives you peace is you left your stuff with him. You're saying, God, I trust your will and your wisdom. You left your stuff with him. And you went away, firmly believing that his will and his wisdom, his power, his love would handle the situation. And you had peace. I said to someone three months ago thereabouts, I said, I got so much stuff right now that if God were to come to me and say, Paul, I'll take care of one or two other things. What do you want me to take care of? I wouldn't know what to ask him to take care of. Because there would still be eight other things that are keeping me awake at night. And that's a good thing when it happens that way. Because if you only got one or two things... If you've got a whole bunch of things, you realize you have to believe what he said. Take one day at a time. Seek me. And I'll take care of the rest. When you've got ten things on your plate that are keeping you awake at night, you finally have to laugh. And you lay down and say, my goodness gracious, God. Good luck to you. Figuring out my stuff. Good luck to you, God. I'm going to leave it with you. And then you have his peace. We limit God in our prayers. Trust him, people. Trust him. Leave your suitcase with him and go on vacation. He'll take care of your suitcase. Finally, the way we limit God is our poor lives. Our poor lives. Our Poor lives. First Peter 4.10, it says, Use whatever gift God has given you to serve other people, faithfully divvying out God's grace in its various forms. Use whatever gift. Every person who worships this weekend, every person, 25,000 at Willow Creek, every person, the five people at uh, First Baptist Church, uh, Henrietta, Georgia, Every child of God on this earth is one of two things. They're either a channel, C-H-A-N-N-E-L, or they're a clog, C-L-O-G. They're one of two things. They're not always a channel. They are usually not always a clog, but every circumstance God gives you, you have a chance to be a channel or a clog. A channel takes God's blessings and let it flow out to others. A channel lets love and joy and peace flow out. A channel lets kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness flow out. A clog takes God's gifts and it stays right inside of them. 
And God's gifts, if they stay right inside of you, they benefit no one else, nor do they benefit you, because you just stagnate. If you can help someone in their need and you don't, you're a clog. If you can help someone in their need and you do, you're a channel. Do you know what a black hole is? Stephen Hawking writes about black holes in his book. Black holes is a star whose gravity is so intense that no light escapes from it, so you never see that planet, you never see that star, you never see that light. A person can be a black hole. They can look at the paycheck that they have and they say, my paycheck, my job. God's up there saying, your paycheck, huh? Your job, huh? I think I got to those for you. You must have forgotten. Person who look at their paycheck and treat it like a black hole. This is my money. I'll spend it as I see fit, 100% of it. When the pastor preached about the tithe, they say, man, I shouldn't have gone today. Because he just reminded me that God wants 10% of that to make me healthy. And he wants to get me to get by on 90%. Paycheck of $2,000. Can you imagine God saying to me, I want $200 of that $2,000. Can you imagine God saying that to me? He's leaving me $1,800. Your paycheck can be a black hole. And for many Americans, it's not just a thousand. They get a thousand dollars in paycheck and they spend 1200 bucks. And then they're really wondering what God's talking about. Your paycheck can't be a black hole. Your life cannot be a black hole. I said last night that once a month I'll go to a children's ward somewhere. Lurie's Children's Hospital, Rehab Institute, Chicago, Christ Hospital, Silver Cross Hospital. I will go to a children's ward. And when I'm there, I meet a lot of frightened parents. Frightened aunts and uncles, frightened grandmas and grandpas. I find lots of them who are totally alone. They no longer converse with friends because their whole life is sucked up into their child's illness. And I tell them, I know exactly how you feel. And when you tell them about your situation, then all of a sudden their ears are wide open to what you have to say. Once a month I go to the veterans' home in Mantino. I sit there and I talk with veterans, some of them not having a visitor in 15 to 20 years. Not a single visitor. And the loneliness with them is so intense. Some of them might say, Pastor, you got enough people here, why are you going there? Why are you going there? Matthew 25, it's about channels and clogs. It's not about sheep and goats. It's about channels and clogs. God says to those on the right hand, you saw the hungry and you fed them. You saw the thirsty, you were a channel. You saw the sick, you were a channel. You saw people in prison, you were a channel. You saw naked people, you were a channel. You actually gave them food when they were hungry. And when they were hungry because they were so lonely, 
You actually went and gave them some of your time. And when they were hungry because they didn't have God, you fed them pieces of God. You understand Matthew 25 is three things. It's physically giving food. It's giving yourself to someone who's naked and thirsty because they're all alone. And it's giving them God because they don't have him and they're hungry and thirsty for him. Said to those on the left-hand side, you are a clog. You visited no one in their loneliness and their need. You didn't tell anyone about the God you supposedly worshipped. And you certainly made a black hole of your money. And didn't give anything to anybody except yourself. Matthew 25, last parable. He ever spoke. Not sheep and goats, channels and cloaks. That's all. Three weeks in the boat, three weeks in the... That's all. Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree, big clog, his money. Spends a bit of time with Jesus, comes out of the house. He's not a clog any longer, he's a channel. Half of what I have I give to the poor. If I cheated anyone out of anything as a tax collector, I'll pay it back fourfold. Channel. One chapter earlier, Luke 18, a rich young lawyer comes to Jesus, says to him, got everything, man, biggest house, biggest chariot. I'm only... In my mid-twenties and everyone envies me. Tell me what I need to have a better life. And when Jesus said, your money's your clog, your power is your clog, your influence is your clog. Get rid of it. Live your life for others. He said, no thank you. I'll remain a clog. I'll let Zacchaeus be the channel. At the close of the day, part three of this message, faith versus unfaith. Where are you and where am I? May we be like the woman in the marketplace, touching his robe, leaving our suitcase with God, walking away from our stuff, believing that God is as good as his word, I will never, never, never leave you. And I will never, never, never forsake you. Streams of living water, John 7, 38, flowing out of this body into other people's lives. Flood them with the kingdom in our Lord's name. Amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, we look at our next-door neighbor and we say, my goodness, he's a hoarder. His garage is just filled. And his house, he can't even go in there anymore because there's no place. He's just a hoarder. Heavenly Father, may we not hoard the blessings that you've given us because they were never meant to be hoarded. They were meant to be passed out. Love, joy, peace, patience, meant to be passed out. Kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, meant to be passed out. Lord, help me leave my suitcase with you. Walk away from you. With firm faith, you'll handle it. And then when I have your peace, I can bring that peace to others. Because I'm not looking at the waves. I'm looking at you. In our Savior's name, amen.